I was sitting there expecting to feel bullets come through me, uh, just because it's, it's, you know, it's not the kind of thing you do is approach a boat and not identify yourself. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. We have a very special show for you today. Our guest is Terry Hassler. Terry has led an adventure-filled life. He was born in Peru to U.S. parents. He was raised in Venezuela, Colombia, and Nicaragua before, as a teenager, they all moved to Australia. Terry came back to the U.S. when he was 18 years old. Since then, Terry has worked for NASA, lived in the Colorado Rockies, and captained a sailboat charter service on a 48-foot catch in the Virgin Islands. He now resides on the outer banks of North Carolina, where he continues his adventurous life with his wife, Judy. Terry, welcome to the program. Thank you, Curtis. Terry, take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself. I've told them a little bit, but let's uh, let's hear more about you and your connection to sailing. Okay, Curtis. The reason uh, I want to talk to your audience today about sailing is it's such a lifelong kind of activity. Um, I started probably my senior year in college with a with a 12-foot catamaran, and then I bought a snark, and, and eventually after I graduated with my first paycheck. I went into debt and I uh, got a 16-foot Hobie Cat. Uh, then after that, I had a 28-foot Irwin Sloop, which I put a windsurfer on. That was back in the days when the windsurfers had just come out and they had teak booms and, and you know, a teak universal joint. After that, a friend of mine and I bought an Alden schooner. It was, it was 55 years old, about 43 feet, and um, got some good stories about that. But um, eventually, I got on Atkins Sloop, uh, Whaler Sailboard, and, and at that point, an opportunity um, came up to to go sailing and, and um, get that catch, the uh, catch 48-foot catch called Innisfree that we took down to the Virgin Islands and put into uh, charter service down there. And then um, after that, as you know, I, I came to Colorado and, and spent 10 years there and um, actually got out of sailing. But it, it gets in your blood, and, and the beauty about it is virtually all places in your life, you can go back to it. So we, um, my wife and I bought a 33-foot sloop that we kept on the, the uh, coast over here, and um, we came back and sailed it a little bit. Finally, uh, of course, all of these boats have, have stories to go with them. As they say, the two happiest days of a man's life are the day he buys a boat and the day he sells it, and that's been pretty much true on a <laughs> happy days. So uh, our final boat was a uh, Cape Dory 26, at least our final monohull. Um, and we tried all kinds of things on that. Another nice thing about sailing is you can it's a it's a field of action where you can uh, try to express your philosophy. And, and one of my philosophies was uh, simplicity. In this Cape Dory 26, it has a well in the back where you kind of hide a little outboard motor. 
away and we ended up taking that motor out and we put some we had some big oars made and and put some oars on this boat it's a 5000 pound boat but um we were able to roll it row it out of you know the uh, slips and stuff enough to get to the wind and put our sails up so we experimented with that a little bit but um, so sailing with no motorized backup right right which is which is you know standard procedure for the smaller boats because you know hobies and those you, you you know rarely does anyone put any kind of motor on that so you're always you know you're always left to your skill and and the wind conditions to get back to to port fascinating so you mentioned your philosophy becoming a part of your sailing and you went into talking about getting rid of the motor getting out the big oars what else about your philosophy applied to the sport well the thing about sailing is it's it's a it's a very scalable very rich and it's in what I call a meaningful field of action and and by that I mean is I mean this is probably true with a lot of sports but um, with sailing everything you do you know has consequences it's it's one of those those fields where uh, you make a mistake you you pay for it um, and and it really develops your your ability to you know make decisions but the thing about it being scalable is is it's it's a sport that an individual can go into, you know, a young man or woman. Um, if they have, a, a, you know, a girlfriend or boyfriend, they can incorporate them into it. If they have a family, um, again, you can, you can keep scaling, sailing all the way up through your whole life. Um, then you get to empty nester, you can go back down. And, and the richness of it is the, the adventure that it provides for, you know, essentially the whole family and, you know, just the skills they learn, the responsibility. You know, around here there's a lot of racing in real small boats, just very small boats, and kids go out and they teach them how to race. But getting back to your question, uh, the philosophy, your your philosophy of life plays into everything. You First of all, you have to decide what mission. You know, there's so many different kinds of boats, and you have to look at where you're living and figure out what, what do you want to do. Do you want to go out and spend the night somewhere? Do you want to just go out for a few hours? Again, that gets back to the scalability. You can spend as much time or as little time on a boat as, as you want. So you, you can work it into your life. Well, Terry, let's uh, dive into a story that helps us to understand what made you fall in love with sailing. So tell us a detailed story of a really amazing experience that you had that got you hooked on the sport. Well, I don't know if... Um any one thing actually got me hooked on the sport. I mean, I was I was drawn to the sport before I really knew a lot about it. I was drawn to it by the solitude. Um, I, I wanted to get out on the water. Um, I was drawn to it by your interaction with with the wind and the the currents, uh, the waves. Um, so I was I was kind of drawn to it, you know, just from an intellectual perspective before. I ever started doing things that then got me further hooked, but you know. But eventually, uh, there's all there's all kinds of stories, and 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 uh, the neat thing about sailing is that it does give you so many stories. I mean, I have a whole list. Do you want to hear capsized stories? Do you want to hear runaway boat stories? Runaway anchor stories? Do you want to hear coast guard boarding stories? There's just a whole. You have like a whole catalog of things that you remember uh, that made that day differently than virtually every other day. 
it, it reminds me, I don't know if you've heard this, this story, Curtis. Um, this just kind of gives you a, an example. There's a story of two people on a plane, two men, and they're talking. And, you know, the one guy was in a war, and he's, he's you know, there's, there's light in his eyes. He's animated. He's just talking about all this stuff that happened in the war. And then the other guy says, and then what, what happened after that? You know, when you, when you got out of the war, he said, well, um, I got a job in uh, sales, and I've been doing that for the last 30 years. Dead silence. In other words, that, that small feel of action, the war, um, just supplied him with so much vigor and enthusiasm and spirit, and then the rest of his life he, he could condense down into just 30 second, a 30-second sentence. That's kind of how um, sailing is. It's kind of like a war, or if you will, um, you could compare it to a family farm where, where you know, economics... You know, in the old days, everybody worked together for an economic pursuit. Um, you know, sailing can be that as far as an adventure pursuit. I'll give you a story of, um, this is a story where I actually didn't pay the consequences of, of my actions. And, it's, and there's stories like that, too, where it's almost like God intervenes and, and stops what, what should have been a really horrible uh, result from happening. And this is... This happened back when I was raising Hobies. Uh, my crew and I were, we just had launched at Phil Foster Park there in West Palm Beach, and we had sailed under the bridge, and we were heading out the inlet. But before we got to the inlet, there was a shallow area, um, you know, sandbank, and we decided to cut across the sandbank instead of uh, going down the channel, which makes like a L-shaped and so we got on the sandbank, and it got real shallow. We had to get off the boat and um, to, to get it at the extra lift. And then so we're walking behind the boat, and this is a, a rare day when the wind was coming off of, the, uh, off of the shore instead of off the ocean. So the boat was kind of blowing ahead of us, and we were just kind of holding on to it, and it got away from us. And, you know, a puff of wind came up, and it, it got pushed just enough out of our reach, and we started running, and we couldn't get to it. So here we have a, you know, a Hobie cat, 16 foot, taken off. And it was headed right towards um, a marina, which was very, very close, with all these really expensive boats. Oh, no. And, uh, so I'm thinking, oh, man, this, you know, this ain't going to be nice because a Hobie cat has two sharp points that are very well in reinforced because that's where all the front stay that holds the mast hooks into a little Y bridle that so the front of the boat is very strong, those two points. And so the boat's taken off, heading right over to this marina. And um, just, you know, sooner than I expected, I hear this bang. And I look up, and as fate would have it, the boat went smack into a, a channel marker. They have these... Um, they can either be posts or, or uh, cement pilings that hold the channel markers up. And the, and the Hobie had ran right into that, and it stopped it before it crossed that narrow channel and went into the marina. And so I, mean, I, was, I was so elated that uh, no damage had been done to any of these boats. I mean, I just couldn't imagine what, you know, what would happen if it had hit, hit those boats. And then the other part of the story is... The way it hit this uh, channel marker, you know, Hobie has has like a bridle in front. It has two 
shrouds that come off each of the hulls, and then it meets together and like like an upside down Y, and then it goes up into the into the mast to hold the mast up. So so that bridle was attached in three places to the strongest part of the boat, and what had happened is the Hobie had hit smack in the middle of that bridle, so all that force was distributed, and there was absolutely no damage except for a small wind vane that, that you put right in that in the Y of that bridle to, to see where you're going, you know, your relative wind. So out of that lesson, virtually, you know, just, you know, maybe $20, $30 worth of damage when it could have been much more. Wow. And so... Could have been tens of thousands or more. Yeah, right, absolutely. I mean, I could have lost the boat easily as a minimum. But uh, So occasionally you get these um, strange turns of events that you don't have to pay your, the price of, of your actions, but that's not generally the case. I mean, generally that's one of the beauties about sailing is you have to make decisions that have, you know, you're, you're constantly in the field of it's meaningful because if you don't make the right decisions, you know, things happen. And, of course, you know, that grows if you have other people involved with it. You know, Terry and all of our listeners out there, I believe that what you just summarized is a beautiful explanation of why people do adventure sports in the first place. Adventure sports, by definition, take us out of our comfort zone a little bit, and they put people in positions where consequences for their decisions are usually right away and... Uh, can be severe. That's part of the adventure of it. And as a result of that, it puts your mind in a, in a position of, of extreme focus. And it stretches your your whole uh, character to, to figure out what you're capable of. And anyway, the, the point I'm trying to get to with all of that is that what you're describing, Terry, is a perfect example, I think, that's common with all adventure sports, that um, we like to put ourselves in a position where we can enjoy and encounter life in a new way, but also in a position where what we do really matters. I think that that's part of, part of the appeal to adventurous spirits like yours. So, Terry, can you uh, tell us descriptively what a beautiful day sailing in the Virgin Islands was like for people who have never done this? What is it like to be on a 48-foot catch in the Virgin Islands? You can have to give me more information. Am I... Is it them who have uh, chartered a boat and they're, you know, everything's being done for them, or are they the captain of the boat? <laughs> well, let's uh, let's say that they're the captain. Okay. Well, the funny thing about uh, chartering a boat in the islands is it was something I had dreamed about uh, the whole time I had boats. I, you know, I had many boats, like I said, and and it finally came to fruition, and I found out that it was not anything like the dream that I had thought because, um, you know, as, as the captain, I mean, we had charters typically for a week at a time, and uh, we had targeted a market which was essentially uh, honeymoon couples, or actually we had one couple that actually got married on the boat, and so we, we just had two, essentially two um, customers. You know, we had to have everything on the boat for all their meals for a week at a time because you couldn't, you know, you can't just run you know, to a store. So there's the provisioning, and, and that involved a lot of um, communication with them ahead of time to find out exactly what kind of foods they liked, you know, et cetera. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, logistics, making sure you have everything. And then, you know, just keeping the boat operating, you know, what people don't realize uh, about a sailboat or, or any kind of larger boat is that um, all the things you take for granted, like, you know, uh, water pressure, 
electricity, you know, any kind of air conditioning or, or those kind of things is all provided. You, you have all systems that provide that. So you're like a little city on top of, of everything else. You have to make sure all those things are working, and, and they're in a pretty tough environment, subject to a lot of salt air and that sort of thing. So, so the captain of one of these boats actually has, you're, you're more worried about, you know, just making sure the customers um, get everything they need when they need it. You communicate with them that they're, they're getting the kind of experience they want, or, you know, what, have, what they had dreamed of. Um, to come down there. So it's, uh, and sometimes we only had a day to turn the boat around. You had to bring the boat in and, and, and completely clean it and, and the crew would go out and shop. And so it, it actually was probably the most stressful job I've had. And wow. yet in the end, it's the one that you remember the most and that's probably true with a lot of jobs. So now let's turn that around. What was the experience like for your guests on the boat? Well, they would come down. Um, typically, we'd pick them up in St. Thomas and then uh, Charlotte Amalia Harbor, and then we would, um, you know, get them on board, and, you know, they would, we'd give them a little um, safety briefing, you know, show them, you know, where the fire extinguishers are and, and just, you know, tell them all the things about safety and, and, you know, how not to use too much water and that sort of thing because all those things are precious resources. Uh, then we would sail around uh, to the British Virgin Islands and, and go through customs. Um, usually we would, the first thing we would do is just sail a little way off and then anchor and then, you know, give them a nice meal depending on whatever they came in. And, and of course, you know, they want to have some drinks and stuff. So they're starting to relax really well. Uh, we actually took, you know, we would ask them if they wanted to do windsurfing and, and that sort of thing, and we would bring windsurfing boards with us, and, and that was an option. You know, we'd teach them how to windsurf or, uh, you know, essentially everything's tailored to what they, they wanted. So a much more relaxing trip than the captain's experience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and when anything does go wrong, you know, the, the captain and crew try to, try to shield it, you know, from... Right. You know, from them, so that you know, you just don't want them that you know think there's anything that you know smooth sailing, as they say. The name Joe Rust is synonymous with record-setting adventures and taking the adventure and motorcycling industries by storm. In 2013, she set the record for first woman to have ridden around the African continent solo, no backup and no support vehicles. In December of 2014, she became the first female brand ambassador for BMW Motorrad, South Africa. Then in February of 2015, she became the first internationally accredited female off-road instructor for BMW Motorrad in Africa and the fourth female instructor in the world. For world-class motorcycle training solutions, visit www.joerust.com. That's J-O-R-U-S-T dot com. Acclaimed nature photographer John Fielder invites you to attend one of his popular Colorado photo workshops. Got an expensive camera? Get a return on your investment by learning how to use it. John will cut you to the chase by showing you his fabulous five camera settings. That's all you'll need. Then learn from the best how to use your eye to compose photos along secret roads in one of John's favorite Colorado places, guaranteeing you amazing images. Great food, great scenery, and great fun at sunrise and sunset. Visit johnfielder.com for the complete 2015 schedule.
Well, here's a question then. Let's shoot the middle of this. If you were not the captain and you didn't have uh, guests on board, but you were on your own boat and you were just wanting to go out and experience nature, then how does that vary from these two experiences? Like you say, it's right down the middle. You you still see. Here's the thing that goes about philosophy: is depending on how much comfort you want depends on how many systems you need there to deliver that comfort, and that and then your maintenance goes up. So there's it's always a trade-off. Um, if it's your own boat, obviously you don't have, you know, the issues of everything running absolutely smoothly. Um, because you you know you decide well I can do without that or I can wait for this or whatever in other words you're you're entirely uh, you're the customer essentially and you can give yourself a break so to speak so but I mean people who who um, you know learn their systems and and have their boat you know done the way they want and they have the experience um, I mean they you know we've met all kinds of people from all over the world there who, who'd come and they're just, you know, they're on their way around the world, in fact, and, um, you know, they just love it. Um, you have to be able, to, you know, to do that, you have to be able to like your solitude and, and, and there's extremes. I mean, there's extreme solitude and then when you get into a, a harbor, there's, you know, everyone's extremely friendly and you get invited over to boats, you know, everyone, you know, people are different. As you know, I mean, people who go camping, you know, when you're in a campground, everybody's, you know, much more friendlier and, and that sort of thing. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. Terry, we like to help our listeners out when it comes to adventure sports. People are considering whether to try a sport or perhaps they're already involved in a sport. Part of this uh, program's intent here is just for people to get a taste of what a sport is like. And part of that taste is what do you do when something goes wrong, not the way that you would expect? You told us about about your catamaran that that uh, ran into the channel marker, but can you tell us about a challenging or a scary experience that you had sailing and some lessons that you learned from that? Probably the time I was most afraid was when we um, we took this uh, Innisfree. It was a 48-foot catch. We took it to the Bahamas. Um, on our way down to the uh, Virgin Islands, and we there was a crew of three of us, me and two others, and we had just cleared the the Barry Islands, which are there um, above NASA before you get to NASA. And this this big cigarette boat came up to us um, just out of the blue. I mean, it was moving. It came up and and he um, he turned his engine off so he could um, you know talk to us, but he. He turned his engine off, and then he kept like putting his hand across his neck, you know, like he's like he was telling us to cut our engines because you know we were under sail, and it's like, you know, what's up with this? But any in in any event, um, I had gone below because you know when you get approached by a boat like that and you're you know you're out of sight of land, you, you don't know what's going to happen, and I was down below, and we had a shotgun on board, and I remember loading that shotgun, and my hands were just shaking because I had no clue what's going on. We Fortunately, we had ports that could open, and, uh, you know, I never, you know, actually put the gun and pointed at him. But anyway, uh, there was two people on this boat, and they kept coming up and, and giving us the, you know, the hand across the neck, you know, stop, you know, stop. And, you know, we got sails. We can't, you don't just, you know, turn something off. So we kept going, and they did that for a while, and, and, I, you know, never found out exactly what they were up to. Eventually, they asked us, you know, which way something was, and then they took off in the other direction. 
it's really the unknown interaction with people that is the most scary thing. Another another example of that was uh, off of uh, Fort Lauderdale at night. One time we were approached by you know a rather large vessel, and you know it kept coming closer and closer, and 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 finally it put a spotlight on on I was out in the in the cockpit, and I reached down for you know my VHF and I I grabbed what I thought was my VHF mic and I said you know you know the vessel approaching sailing vessel uh, please identify yourself and I said that three times and they never they never responded they were just right on their tail with this spotlight down on us finally I mean I was sitting there expecting to feel bullets come through me uh, just because it's it's you know it's not the kind of thing you do is approach a boat and not identify yourself Finally, they did identify themselves as the Coast Guard, and they then asked us some lame excuse, you know, well, we've heard, we, we heard a mayday out here. Have you heard or seen any vessel? You know, that kind of thing. Um, actually, they were probably just checking us out, and that's just the excuse they used. But the, the funny thing was, I realized afterwards that I had reached down, and instead of grabbing the mic for the, for the VHF, so they didn't even get that that transmission. I had grabbed. We had like a uh, PA system. You know, there was a big speaker that you could talk through, and the mic. It was off at the time, but I thought I was talking through the VHF with the radio to the Coast Guard, and and you know, I had grabbed the wrong one. So the thing to learn there is make sure you you know exactly what uh, equipment you're dealing with. There's a lesson there too about adventure sports. Um, often. We're a little bit on the edge, and mistakes can be costly, as we've discussed. And knowing the equipment well and knowing what to do under pressure, I'm convinced that some people should not scuba dive or skydive or do a lot of other sports because sometimes they reach for the ripcord and grab something else. They cut away half their chute. And this is a common story with skydivers. You know, it's, it's one of those situations where we learn a lot about ourselves and how we operate under pressure but we really, never really know, I think, until the situation is on us. But that's part of the appeal to adventure sports. We're finding out more about what we're made of. It's interesting, too, Terry, because you talked about um, the solitude of the open water. You spoke about the social interactions in the harbors and the marinas and how everyone is so friendly. But then you mentioned that the scariest experiences you had were with unexpected encounters with people out on the open sea. I think a lot of people would have expected um, maybe a story about a storm or a loss of position or maybe wondering if you were going to have enough food or water to get to the next port, those sorts of stories. Have you had those kinds of experiences too? Um, yeah, there's, there's, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of, you know, grounding stories, dismasting, um, but for some reason there's, there's just something different in the quality of a natural, you know, a natural problem or something, you know, that happens due to, to lawfulness. So I call it lawfulness. In other words, when you're out there against the wind, it's lawful. There's nothing that does that isn't something that's, you know, been ordained since, since forever, essentially. You know what I mean? The physical laws, everything's following that. If you, um, you know, I lost my mask once on the Hobie, and, and there's just, it's just a different situation. It's like, okay, now... Here's what I have to do. So it, it's there's something about. I mean, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just something about the 
natural phenomena that you have issues with that you you come into a different state of mind essentially because you know I think that, I get that entirely I've been in situations maybe sport repelling where you find yourself having to do something that you normally wouldn't think about but it's you and the rope and the rock and your your repelling device and uh you're there trying to make decisions that are going to get you out of the bind that you're in but it's all predictable you know the outcomes and I think when it's when it's people against nature, nature follows generally follows the rules, right? But when we encounter other people that are unpredictable, then that can create a whole new dynamic: the unknown, not knowing what what someone might do. Right. Exactly. So, in general, um, for our audience, you've encountered a lot of people when you're out sailing. In general, would you say that you felt safe and that you know the human race is 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 a wonderful group of of people, or would you say that you're not so sure that you have to keep your guard up a lot? What is the sailing world like? And basically, and that's why you know I would try to talk all your all your listeners into sailing. You know, sailors, and this is probably true of any sport. I'm just I'm just pushing sailing, but they're they're excited about their sport. Uh, most people on the water, you know, boater, you know, regular power boaters or whatever, they're happy to be there. Um, you know, it's a whole different environment, really, once you get away from, you know, the gridlock or, you know, traffic jams or just, you know, people commuting to, to work and everything. I mean, it's a completely different environment, and that's why it's it's so attractive and appealing to, to you know, get out there. Yeah, I, I, I have zero fear, really, around here of, of people on the water. I mean, you can you can hear you know stories of, of bad things happening, but in general, it's just a wonderful place to be. It actually gives you, um, you know, more hope for for humanity. I think that that's also common among adventure sports when you find people with a common interest and they're there to have fun. It's just a beautiful table set there. They're they're always inviting. I mean, you can't find you know whether it's motorcycles or or you know people who fix up cars and stuff i mean they're just they're anxious to talk about it and they they'd love for you to join them essentially they want you to you know feel what they feel and 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 you know get that uh, have your spirit lifted you know like theirs is right so terry give us some advice here what advice do you have for people that would be interested in trying sailing or people that are new to the sport how they can um be successful at the sport but also be safe at the sport well, what I would like to impress upon people is, is sailing is so scalable. I mean, there's so many different axes, so to speak. For example, a lot of people dismiss sailing because they think it's expensive. Well, actually, you can sail for next to nothing. I mean, if you, if you go to like a, a sailing club and stuff like that, there's a lot of people who need crew. You know, and if you're enthusiastic and you, you know, you've got to do what you're told when you're on a boat, obviously. But if you, if you've got that attitude, the right attitude, you can sail for, you know, nothing on on nice boats. Even you can you can rent small boats and and get out, and that's probably the best way to to learn is in a small boat where when you make a change, a small change, you feel you you can feel what's happening. You know, on the axis of money, you can spend as little or obviously as much as you want on sailing. As far as adventure level, the same thing. You can dial it up. You know, you can you choose 
you know, if you want to have a lot of excitement today or, or with your family, you can keep it real, you know, nice and just, you know, having fun and picking the days where you're not, you know, there's not a lot of excitement, just relaxation and, the, you know, the joy of, of going around and, and being out in the water and the air and the sun and everything. So it's completely, you know, you completely specify exactly how much stress you want or how much adventure. Same thing with ownership level. You can you can decide how much you you want to own your own boat or you want to sail on someone else's. Or there's actually places where you can pitch in and, and partially own a boat, so you you kind of share the ownership. You have you can decide whether you want to go solo or you want your your wife or your girlfriend or um, you want your whole family. So it, virtually the whole scale of what you want to do. And and you know of course the main thing if you if you go with family is, is communication you know this this is a big growth area if you want to learn how to communicate with your family and and grow and uh, grow in that there's nothing like a sailboat to do that but you've you've really got to you know set the ground rules ahead of time and and it's just a you know a great team team kind of building thing as far as you know, some people might be, they think they're landlocked, but, I mean, if there's a river, there's a bay, there's, as a as a last resort, I would say get a little sailboat, you know, remote controlled and, and, and sail it in a swimming pool until you can't stand it and you have to, you know, you have to go somewhere and actually do it. <laughs> so would you recommend uh, some of the sail, sailboat training programs that exist out there or would you recommend just starting small and, and learning as you go? I would highly recommend I think I learned so much when I was racing the Hobie and sailing it just for fun because like I said if you the lighter the boat the smaller the boat the more when you make a change to the sail that you can see the response and and you want to you want to kind of get sailing to be an intuition before you start going to bigger boats, because on a bigger boat you you can do you can yank on the main sheet and and do this and that, and because they're so heavy, they take it takes a lot of time. In other words, they're acceleration, so you you don't get that immediate feedback as to how a change you made affected the boat's you know, speed. I mean, I would highly recommend people that they um, race, you know, compete, because it's always it's always a friendly kind of thing. I mean, sometimes you get people that take it seriously, but but in racing, not only do you get to um, a small boat, like a pram or something, not only do you get to see the immediate effect of what you're doing, but you see other people. For example, when you're racing um, Hobie Cats, you know, I remember the first time, this, me and my crew were sitting together at the back, and our, our uh, pontoons are like pointed up at, up at uh, the moon, and you look at, and you see the next guy next to you, and his crews laying out on the front so their boat's nice and level and they're just scooting along and, and just things like that. You see someone do something different, you can learn quickly. So, I mean, I think that um, light boats and racing, uh, competitive, or it doesn't have to be racing, it's just two boats that are close to being the same, you're out and playing around, that you learn a lot about sailing very quickly and then you can apply it to, to the, you know, bigger boats. Fantastic. Terry, this is uh, our last question for today, and it has to do with how the sport benefits individuals or society as a whole. How do you think sailing is good for society as a whole or good for the individual? Well, for the individual, it's, it's, a, it's like I said, it's a field, it's a, 
a field of growth. It's like an academy, really, when you think about it. I mean, you know, you're learning to overcome yourself. You're learning to make decisions. You're, you're, um, if you're with a crew, you're learning to communicate under stressful, you know, sometimes stressful situations. And it ends with, as with all adventure sports, you know, it's a, it's a place for the human spirit to, you know, grow and express itself. The, the, the other thing about sailing is it, it's rich heritage. I mean, you know, it, the, the whole, all of our society once depended on, on sail for trade. I mean, Britain ruled the world because it ruled the waves. In other words, its ability to sail caused it to be, you know, the, essentially the ruler of the world. If you look, you see poetry has been inspired by sailing, music, literature, and even, you know, in its day, sail was to the development of technology like, you know, today space exploration is, you know, it pushes the technology out there. Well, you know, sailing did that for the longest time, and actually it still is in some areas, you know, you, you see these boats getting lighter and faster, and, and like the America's Cup now is all about um, foils, riding high off the water on foils that are hardly touching the water. So it's it's really in in you know sailing is in our culture and our history, and and finally, you know one of one of the things that that kind of worries me a little bit is is today there seems to be a tendency for uh, you know more and more for for young men to you know extend their adolescence just you know by watching video games or playing video games. In other words, they get involved in things that are very one-dimensional. Um, you know, for example, you know, people who get involved in video games, I mean, they might do that until they're in their 30s. And, and if they could, you know, take up a sport, you know, virtually any adventure sport, but, you know, um, sailing, for example, and start making decisions, having consequences, and, and growing, if you, if you see what I mean, Curtis, it's, it's, a, it's a place to grow. Right. You know, I've said many times that Fun is not watching other people pretend to have fun. Fun is exactly. going out and doing, and our society has become sedentary and reclusive in a lot of ways, and I think you're absolutely correct. When people get out and breathe and move and experience and interact, then life takes on a whole new dimension, and it's a necessary dimension. So I think you're right on target there, Terry. Yeah, and as a last resort... Um, adventure sports provide something for the couch potatoes to watch. You know, as it is. <laughs> <laughs> at least, at least uh, they can see that other people are having fun. Yeah, that's funny. Well, Terry, thank you very much for your time today. Um, you've given us a beautiful introduction to what sailing can be as a and as an adventure sport, as a hobby, and as a, a life experience. And to all of our friends, get out there. And have some fun until we catch you on the next podcast. This has been Adventure Sports Podcast, sponsored by 180 Tech. Have you ever dreamed of traveling the world on a motorcycle? Pick up Forks, a quest for culture, cuisine, and connection, and experience the people and cuisine of 35 countries the way Alan Carl did. Visit ForksTheBook.com and pick up your copy today. Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click contact us.